live from Deerbird. This is the Lock Tomb Podcast. I'm Amy. And I'm Mel. Today we're covering chapters 20 and 21 of Nona the Ninth by Tamsin Muir. This begins day five, the final act of the book, and definitely the most substantial and unhinged. I am so glad to finally be covering day five. As a reminder, if you want to support artists in the Locktomb fan community, you can always check out our Locktomb creator hub at locktombpod.com slash fan merch. And as always, if you'd like to support Amy and I here at the pod, you can find stickers, pins, and magnets on our website. And a couple of you asked if you could just donate to us, which, sure, (laughs) we're adding a button to our website so you can do that too. It's also through Ko-fi. So thanks, y'all. Awesome. Amy, I have a themed joke for you today. I heard that it was a really great joke, so I can't wait to hear it. We'll just say it's better than what I've had. It's better than what I've had. I don't know if it's good, but the bar is pretty low lately. (laughs) What is it called when you get slapped by Yanthe? I I don't know. Awestruck. (laughs) Hells yeah. That was really good. I thought that was good. I was proud of that one. (laughs) She's my girl. <laughs> Whenever Ianthe is featured prominently in these books, I just become so inspired. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I'm so glad to be here where we get to talk about her again because she is, I think, my favorite character, even though she's horrible. I know. She's so good, though. She's so well characterized. All right. Well, on that note, let's go ahead and get started with day five. <laughs> The play-by-play is Crown Plays Her Part, The Saint of Duty, Palamides Comes Clean, The Saddest Girl in the Whole Entire World, mm-hmm. Nona Watches a Duel, The Convoy, Paul Gets Born, One Last Trip, 24 Hours Until the Tomb Opens. Woo! Man. It's a lot. I mean, I was kind of looking at how far we are in the book, and we are not that much past halfway through the book. We've we've done about three-fifths-ish, even less, and this is the last act of five acts, and it's like a good half of the book. So <laughs> we have a lot left. Yeah, the pacing of this book is really interesting, yeah. and I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> but this day is, of course, my favorite day of the book, and I think probably for many people... That is likely true. We've had fun up until this point, but this is where shit gets gnarly. And I don't know about you, Amy, but I feel like I could go line by line in these two chapters, and we're not going to do that, but there's so much to talk about. Yeah, I was really struggling because I was like, I want this episode to be tight and, you know, not too rambly because we do do that sometimes when we get really (laughs) into it, but it's really like every single paragraph has a thing that I want to point out. So we'll see how long this takes, but it's going to be a hefty one for sure. Yeah. So let's get into chapter 20. Oh, yeah. This is really about Crown playing her part, Mm -hmm. which I just want to know what part is Crown playing? And that's just kind of going to be a recurring thread throughout this chapter for me. Mm -hmm. And for the one after is like, what is Crown actually playing at in the larger scheme of things and i want to know y'all's theories about it but she can't just be what's on the surface here there's no way yeah i really feel like the wild card here is judith 
I don't think that anyone except for Nona really knows how much Judith means to Coronabeth. And so that's where a lot of the confusion from other people is coming from, because even Cam kind of reads the situation wrong at first. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Love trumps all, I suppose. Yes. <laughs> all right. So what happens here? <laughs> yeah, we can't forget that last we heard from Nona, she had torn half her body apart to get out of a chair that she was tied mm -hmm. to and then bashed mm -hmm. down a door with her body and came at a group of Blood of Eden guards terrifying them all. And then someone put a bag over her head. And that's the last time we saw her. Yeah, so you can imagine she's not feeling great when she wakes up from this situation. She's very ill. Palamides is there in Camilla's body. Right. And the room that they are in is the meeting room that they had been in previously at the Blood of Eden bunker or whatever with Wake's portrait. Noya asks about hot sauce. Where is she? What happened to her? Plamini says they let her go. Nona's obviously pretty peeved about this. And we learn that when Blood of Eden brought the crew back to their headquarters, Palamides actually extracted the bullet out of Nona's head. So that was like pre-tantrum. Mm-hmm. And when Blood of Eden saw Palamides do that, they like got really scared, mad, because they didn't know that Pal and Cam could do necromancy. And so they tied up both Palamides slash Camilla and Nona. Right. And that's what made Nona mad and she lost her shit. So again, we get like the timing of information that we're given here is interesting because that kind of explanation predates the last time that we saw Nona. And so it gives us a little bit of explanation for you know, why Nona was tied up in the first place. Right. And after we have this context, Palamides asks Nona about the broadcast and if she recognized anyone. And Nona says, only the girl from my dream. And Pal gets really upset that she hadn't told him or Cam this immediately, even though if you think about it, there's been a lot going on <laughs> ever since that moment. But But Nona's really kind of hurt by this and by Pal's reaction. And in this moment of being so upset, she tells Pal that she's dying. And I think this is the first time that she said this to Pal. And so he does some cool necromancy stuff to examine her body. And it's not working. And he makes actually a really interesting comment about Kitharea and the, the games that she played with him. She was able to mask her body. So he was not able to really get the information that he thought he was able to get from her. And that's what made it possible for her to pretend to be Dulcinea for so long. Totally. Because Palamides was trying to make Dulcinea feel better that entire book. Yeah. <laughs> and the fact that Kitharea was able to trick him with the body uh -huh. is like pretty wild. And so what's interesting when Palamides makes this comment, God save me from lictoral masking, it's just more evidence that there's something a little bit lictoral <laughs> about Nona right. and her body, right? It's suggesting that there's still maybe a couple different souls fucking around in that body. And in fact, that is confirmed because after Pal does his poking and prodding, he realizes that she's 
quote unquote, shedding thalurgy and says that her soul is trying to leave her body. Right. And the only reason it would do that is if the body didn't recognize the soul as itself or if it was like an amalgamation of souls, right, and the body rejecting that. Right. And so this sort of confirms for Pal that Nona is not either just Harrowhark or Harrowhark at all. Right. And he's kind of puzzling this out as he goes. And it's really interesting to hear him kind of try and logic it out. Because honestly, at this point, we as readers aren't sure exactly who Nona is either. But I think that we actually have a little bit more information than Palamides does, because we also have been inside of Nona's head. Anyway, Nona says that she doesn't mind dying, but Pal says, I will not be party to this again, which could be a reference to Dulcinea dying or to Gideon dying. I mean, at the end of the day, Pal's really been around when a lot of people have died. So, <laughs> Yeah, I think this is like, if it's not super specific, it's just generally Pal has lost so many acquaintances and people that he's loved very recently. And so he's like, I haven't been able to save many people, but I'm trying to save you. Right. And he explains to her that they can't let her body die because, well, I can read part of the quote. He says, it's the body of someone I owe a favor to, which I think he means is Harrow. And I'd rather like to see the look on her face when I present it back to her. It's definitely Harrow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and if we lose the body, whither goes the soul? Let's say you are the other soul, Gideon. And let's say I lose you. You, Gideon, die. She, Harrow wakes up, the final kick in the pants, and what I gather was a life long on kicks and short on very much else, which I think he means like if she woke up after having done all this work to try and preserve Gideon's soul and she woke up and Gideon's died because she's woken up, that's just like the final kick in the pants. Right. And it's kind of ironic because that is what Harrow did to Gideon. (laughs) You know, like this is exactly the sentiment that Gideon describes at the end of Harrow the Ninth, where Gideon's like, what the fuck? I like woke up in your body. I can see you in the mirror and you're not even here. So this is just really depressing. So Pal is trying to prevent that scenario for Harrow. Right, right. And then he says, we've got a meme alert in here. It's actually, I feel like most of the memes of the book are in this last day. This is the only meme that I even somewhat knew. So (laughs) I look forward to you pointing out the other memes. Well, the quote continues, and yet if I don't preserve her, ninth, really, I sincerely did not want to have to look after your bedamned water bottle. And that is a (laughs) reference to a Kanye West tweet. I hate to even speak of him, but it was a very funny tweet. (laughs) And if you don't know about it, then you can look it up. Kanye West's water bottle tweet. Do you remember what it was about? He's like, I hate waking up on an airplane when, and then I have a water bottle next to me and I'm like, ah, shit, now I have to take care of this water bottle. (laughs) Something along those lines. God, I don't even want to give him my laughter. I know. Well, it's a funny tweet. (laughs) Shitty people can have funny tweets. That's true. That's true. (laughs) So Nona is like, oh, my God, do you know who I am? Uh And Palamity says that he does have a theory and that if she's one of two people, she's not solely the first person. Mm -hmm. So she's not just Harrow, but she's not just Gideon, some sort of like amalgamation. 
And that's his going theory. He doesn't know about Electo. Right. It's interesting. He doesn't even seem to suspect Electo really at all. He seems pretty fixed on on Nona being at least partially, if not mostly, Gideon. Mm -hmm. In fact, even just a bit later, Nona says, I hate it. I hate being locked up. And Pal says, so did Gideon, I gather. So he's really starting to settle on this idea. And I don't know when he realizes that that's not what's going on, but we need to keep an eye out for that moment because right now I think he's pretty solidly Gestalt, Gideon, and Harrow in one body. Totally. I mean, and why wouldn't he be? Mm-hmm. He has no reason. We, we have so much more information than Palamides. Uh-huh. And so it makes sense that he, he has this theory. And it's pretty logical. And he's not totally wrong, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, there's actually three souls swimming around in, <laughs> in this four bodies. So. Yeah. Or at least connected to it in some way or another. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but then there's this very funny part where Pal explains to Nona that the girl on the broadcast is the other body <laughs> that she might belong to. And Nona is horrified because she doesn't want to be a redhead. <laughs> I know. It's so great. It's so funny. There's like this really <laughs> fascinating thing with Nona and who Nona is attracted to. Uh-huh. Because if you're at all like, no, I don't think it's an, like a bunch of souls are swimming around in this body, just based on what Nona's attracted to, uh-huh. you can tell that there's multiple people in her body. She thinks Corona Beth is super hot. <laughs> and what's fascinating about this is Corona looks like a Barbie kind of, you know, like a ripped tall Barbie. Uh-huh. And we know Electo actually thinks Barbie is like the most hideous thing in the whole world. Mm-hmm. But Gideon was obsessed with how hot Corona was. So that's like a Gideon attraction. Uh And then there's like, who do you want to be and who are you attracted to? Mm -hmm. It's like Harrow doesn't want to be Gideon. Nona doesn't want to be this like redhead. But when Nona looks in the mirror at herself, she's like, this is the hottest body ever. Uh Like she's really attracted (laughs) to Harrow, but Harrow hates herself. So you know that's not Harrow's attraction. It could also be Gideon's attraction to Harrow, right? I've been so confused by who Nona is attracted to in this book. And I think it's just meant to be a total mix. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I still feel like Nona is 99% Electo, like Electo light, but there is little bits. I feel like you're leaning more towards like, there's more Gideon and Harrow in her than I do. Well, there ha- to me, there has to be just because of how Curiona acts in this. yeah. I feel like we actually get some of my favorite parts of Gideon still in Nona, mm-hmm. like the, the trashy sense of humor. I mean, we get that in Kiriana too. <laughs> right, right. That's true. <laughs> but anyway, I feel like also because Muir has said the Happy Meal thing, I like know. there's definitely Gideon in this body. Yeah. I guess the debate is like how much. Right. So I don't know. I right. don't know. I think it's funny. I wonder how much Tamsin Muir thought about that quote, the Happy Meal quote, before she said it, because God knows we have really <laughs> latched onto it. <laughs> well, it's a really great way of explaining how she's cut up all these souls. I know. I but know. yeah, it's like was one interview that she gave and it's like <laughs> everything. <laughs> I know. So anyway, at the end of this conversation, someone knocks on the door. 
And Hal tells Nona that she needs to tell Cam that he and Cam need to talk ASAP. And then he goes and Cam pops back up. Yes. And a hot older woman comes into the room and Nona realizes it is We Suffer, mm-hmm. who is not wearing a mask. Right. Also, Nona says something like, We Suffer has to be older than Pira, which I just think is funny because Pira is like 10,000 years old. Right. But when We Suffer comes into the room, she apologizes for them being bound, Mm -hmm. but also says they're necessary because Nona was the scariest thing any of Blood of Eden had ever seen, which is quite a statement to make. Right. And then We Suffer tells Cam that Pash has admitted to liquidating a large Mervwing unit, which, again, is referring to the shit show that went down at the school. Uh Uh-huh. But it's good because Unjust Hope's not making a huge deal of it. And then We Suffer mentions the messenger, and I quote, whom you call the angel, Mm -hmm. was unhurt, and she's not going to register Pash having discharged a weapon in their presence yet, because that was kind of a whole debate during that debacle. And so with that statement, Nona then asks We Suffer who the messenger is, and We Suffer says that's above their pay grade, (laughs) which is funny because they're not paid. Yeah. And then Nona asks if the angel is important, and We Suffer says the angel is blood of Eden. Right. And so this is our first real hint into, well, I guess not our first, but it's a big hint into who the messenger is. So if we think of what Blood of Eden is, which is a rebel group fighting against the Nine Houses, and specifically it seems Jod, whatever is the continuity of Blood of Eden is contained within AIM or the Angel or the Messenger. Yeah. And we don't know. We don't know. Lots of theories. Everyone's got lots of theories. But like, what is it for real? We don't know. Right. But this is a significant statement and one that we will very likely come back to after reading Electo. Mm-hmm. Right. I also really like here that Cam's like, you can't control your own people. And we suffer is like, I'm not a tyrant. I'm not going to tell them that they have to stand what they shouldn't be able to stand. I just really like Blood of Eden. Obviously, they're hierarchical, but they're also almost anarchist and they're sort of collective. Like, there's not really a a big person in charge, at least since Wake. And it kind of seems like things are in flux at all times. And they sort of make decisions in committee, but not really in a chain of command in the same way as we would see in the normal military. Anyway, I just, I think we, we suffer just hot and gets hotter the more we see of her. (laughs) Good leadership is hot. Yeah. We'll say. I think what attracts me to we suffer is just how competent she Uh is. She's just, I mean, I've said this before on this podcast, competence is chef's kiss to me. I'm like, yeah. give me a competent woman. That's what, that's what I need, you know? Mm-hmm. So We Suffer is just competence embodied. She is very <laughs> reasonable and logical, but also is respected and doesn't let people give her shit. So excellent leader here. And in that... She says, we're not going to make a big deal of all the shit that happened. You know, we're going to keep this in-house with Mm -hmm. Sessafon Wing because we've got other fish to fry and other fish to fry being Ianthi Nibirius 
landing on this planet. Right. And after this conversation, the screen on We Suffer's desk beeps, and we learn that there's a plan in place involving Coronabeth entering the barracks. It seems like Cam has learned of this plan previously, and she tries to convince We Suffer, it seems like for the upteenth time, to pull Coronabeth out. And she says that We Suffer's been played. Yeah, it's actually really interesting how passionately Camilla is fighting this operation. Mm -hmm. Because this debate goes on for like a page and a half or something. And Camilla seems to think that whatever Coronabeth is doing, that this is a trap for Blood of Eden, that they're not going to get any intelligence out of this. They're not getting what they're calling the key, the key being Gideon's body, which is the key to the locked tomb. And that if Corona walks in there, she's not walking out. And I think that's a really valid suspicion on Camilla's part, just Uh knowing what Corona Beth and Ianthe's relationship is, which is fucked up. It's a fucked up relationship. (laughs) But the idea is that Corona Beth is going in bugged, Mm -hmm. which she actually is. You know, she's she's got a mic on her. And when that suitcase or whatever makes those noises, we actually start to hear Corona Beth in the car on the way to the barracks. Right. And it looks like We Suffer might actually listen to Cam for a second. I mean, Camilla's being really firm. She's like, this is a trap. It won't get you intel. It won't get you what you're calling the key. You walk her in there alone. She won't walk out. She's giving in, not fighting. So We Suffer thinks that she's totally loyal to Blood of Eden. Cam thinks that she's totally loyal to her sister, but actually Crown is a little bit of both and sort of not either, because she also has a third loyalty thrown in there, which is Judith, which no one really is taking into consideration here and is actually huge. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, why would anyone take this into consideration? It's such an unlikely... We've talked about their relationship so many times before. It's such an unlikely herring Mm -hmm. to the outsiders you know and people don't know judith and corona best history Mm -hmm. of how they grew up together but the person who does know this is ianthe Mm -hmm. so (laughs) corona beth on the comm is in the car she's approaching the barracks she exits the car which basically makes her a huge sniper target right because she's just standing there and i think blood of eden and maybe police in the city or something are holding back the crowd But she sounds kind of freaked out. The guard doesn't believe that she's Corona because he says she's been dead for a year. And they argue for a second. And then Ianthe Nibirius comes out (laughs) and they greet her and they share a very fucked up and confusing exchange. I think this is one of my favorite passages in the book. It's also- (laughs) You would. (laughs) Moira should get an award for this exchange. Like the way that she delivers this is- actually incredible Uh i mean they have this exchange that is like (laughs) don't touch me don't touch me like oh i love you come here i mean i can't do it justice but it's like it's also obviously very well written Uh but it's this push and pull between corona beth being angry that Mm -hmm. ianthe killed babs to become a lictor and abandoned Corona Beth, but also Corona Beth is really happy, sort of, to see Ianthe because they're they're twins and they have this like weird fucking relationship. My mm-hmm. it's 
I mean, there's so much to say here <laughs> about this exchange, but the one thing that Ianthi says right off the bat is, studs, darling, earrings on a diet, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is funny. And that obviously comes into play in a couple minutes, but she's already commenting on Corona Beth's beauty and fashion and all of that. <laughs> this brings us to one of the biggest points of debate in the Locktoon fandom around this book. So Anthony says, studs, darling, earrings on a diet. And Corona says, don't say what Babs would say. And Iante, I'm just going to read this quote, word for word, so you can really uh pick it apart. (laughs) You know I always say what Babs would say, except when Babs said what I would. We kept you honest. Come here, my heart's love, said the voice. And Crown's sobs were suddenly muffled, then quieted, then silenced altogether. And to quote, we have, this is a very succinct listener question that kind of captures the question that the fandom has around this. So this is from Anonymous Goat. Thank you, Anonymous Goat. They say, so like, is Tamsin Muir actually about to go there with the Anthe and Coronabeth? Or have I been watching too much Game of Thrones? <laughs> it might have just been Moira Quirk's take on Ianthe's voice, but their reunion felt sexually charged to me. Curious about your guys' thoughts. <laughs> What are your thoughts, Mel? I mean, it it doesn't not feel sexually charged. Obviously, I listen to the audiobooks more than I read the books. So mm-hmm. my reading is also probably clouded by Quirk's delivery. And I think even reading it, this feels very intimate. And And here's the thing. And this is kind of getting ahead a little bit, and we'll talk about it when it happens, but Guess what, readers? We're not the only ones questioning whether this is sexually charged. Nona herself, after hearing this exchange, assumes that Ianthe is Crown's boyfriend. I mean, Tamsin is straight up giving it to us. She is like, there is something here. There is something here. We're not making it up. I think the finer point of debate is whether or not there is a kiss here. And this is this debate is the same <laughs> as the debate in the pool scene, and it's written very similarly, mm-hmm. where it leaves it ambiguous. So you can make it up, whatever you want to do. You know, I don't know. There's so much that happens off screen in these books. Mm-hmm. Do they make out here or don't they? I'm gonna say they don't make out here. That's just my take. That's just my take. I agree. I mean, it is really fun to debate this, but I don't really think that we need Corona and Ianthe to be incestuous for their relationship to be totally fucked up. Right. Do I think that that Tamsin Muir wrote this like this specifically to keep it ambiguous <laughs> so that we as a fandom could debate it until we're blue in the face? Absolutely. Like she knew yeah. what she was doing. <laughs> Do I think that if I had to put money on what the canonical, like what happens here is what would I say that they kiss? No, I don't think they kiss. But I love that Tamsin Muir does this. Also, around the Nona saying that Ianthe is Crown's boyfriend, we know that Nona specifically has a hard time when she can't see the body language or facial expressions of people. So Nona is in some ways flying blind here because she's not she doesn't have the most important thing that she needs to read people yeah but palamides validates her 
Well, he's like, well, I can understand how you would think that because it's so weird yeah. and fucked up. <laughs> yeah. But once again, the debate is around whether they kiss, and I, t- I don't think they kiss. But I do yeah. think it's really interesting because the debate kind of misses the main point, which is that these books are about types of love and types of intimacy, and that it doesn't really matter whether they did or not. Just the display of this extremely weird, like intimate but toxic relationship. <laughs> it's just right. fucked up. Right. Absolutely. And I and this just gets driven home when Corona Beth opens the door to the car and reveals that she's brought Judith along with her. Ianthe is disgusted by uh-huh. this in a really intense way that suggests a lot of jealousy. Right. You can read that jealousy in whatever way you want. But Ianthe says, I thought she had exited this ghastly veil of tears, <laughs> which veil of tears, I think, is a Christian phrase. I don't know what it means. Mm-hmm. What does it mean? It's, uh, I think it's from Psalms. It's like in some translations of the Bible, but I guess like life is this veil of tears that you go through before you die and go to heaven. Right. So she basically is saying, I thought Judith died. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and interestingly, Corona Beth says, didn't Harrowhark tell you? And Ianthe is like, didn't Harrow what? When did you talk to Harrow? And it's interesting that Corona Beth assumes here. So Corona talked to Harrow when Harrow and Mercy Morn, back in Harrow the Ninth, landed on that planet to flip it. Right. And Harrow ran into or was pursued by yes. Cam, Corona, <laughs> and Judith in that shuttle. So this is when Corona Beth talked to Harrow. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that Corona Beth thinks that Hera would have told Ianthe about this encounter, Mm -hmm. which is kind of interesting. I guess Corona Beth still gives her sister the benefit of the doubt or something. Right. It's also interesting because it just, it shows how little actually, at least Corona Beth knows Hera. Because we have to remember a woman whose tongue wags does not love the silence of the tomb. So, of course, Harrow kept this to herself. But also, this passage is really interesting to me because it kind of reminds me of John's interactions with Mercy Morn and Augustine in that he'll be very loving and sweet to them. And then he'll have this moment where he'll ask a question in a very serious way and he'll get very hard. Like when he asks them when they last saw Kitharea and he's like, when did you last? And even in the book, it's like he asked it in a different tone than he had been talking to them in before. Mm. And it's kind of similar, just this sort of performance of sentimentality and love, but this very like calculating and kind of twisted mind underneath it all. Well, and it's like when something's not going according to their plan, uh-huh. you know, it's like in John's case being like, oh, shit, have I been undermined? And right. let me do something about that. Similarly here, Ianthe's like, I thought this was just Corona Beth. And here she goes again with this mm-hmm. boring Judith Deuteris fucking up all my plans because of this like person that she's in love with. And I don't get it because right. why aren't I enough? And I'm also the best and a narcissist and blah, 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 blah. 
But they go back and forth for quite a bit about Ju- about Judith. It's very mm-hmm. funny. I mean, this passage is so good. And not only is Ianthe surprised by the appearance of Judith, but so is Blood of Eden. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we suffer obviously didn't expect this. And she immediately sends someone to check on the room where they were holding Judith. And I, you can tell in this moment that we suffer is realizing that Cam is, or at least she thinks that Cam is totally right. She, she feels like she's losing her grasp on Crown and that things are not going as she planned. This is also a funny bit because Corona Beth mentions Gideon and Ianthe is really annoyed that she remembers Gideon's name, which is a callback to when at the end of Harrow, Gideon in Harrow's body says, Corona Beth knew my name. <laughs> I just love how connected every single I bit of this. I didn't even catch that. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I did not catch that until I saw that in your notes. <laughs> and then things kind of take a little bit of a turn because after all this greeting, whatever, fighting over Judith, mm-hmm. Ianthe gets down to business. I'll, I'll read the quote because it's good for a, a couple different reasons. Mm-hmm. Anthe says, just because I'm using Babs as a butt puppet (laughs) doesn't mean (laughs) that I'm without resources. I'm a lictor. Yes, multiple puppets are a pain. I'm hoping the expert is out there somewhere admiring my handiwork. I think the expert here is Harrow. Although it could be Jod, but I'm pretty sure this is about Harrow. Yeah, I don't really know. I made a note and said, who is this? <laughs> but I don't know the answer. <laughs> I think it's Harrow. Okay. Um, and she says, but I'm not blind, Corona. My pretty golden girl, roughing it in your jacket and your earrings. I'll give him this. He said earrings or necklace. Mm-hmm. And at first, we don't know who this he is. Although we can just say we think this he is actually Pira because Pira shows up in like a minute right so it seems like pira who it's important to note ianthe thinks is the the saint of duty or at least like a remnant of the saint of duty so ianthe thinks the saint of duty showed up he has told her some information some key information to make her believe that it is in fact him and i guess that he told her that corona beth would be bugged either in an earring or a necklace and so that's where she's getting this intel. And she then speaks directly into the earpiece on Crown's ear. And she tells BOE that she wants the sixth house, Camilla Hecht and Harrow, or she'll destroy the planet. And she also mentions that it's not Blood of Eden that they're fighting on Antioch. And she's kind of acting like she doesn't really care about Blood of Eden. She's like, you can go live for 5,000 more years. I don't give a fuck. I just want every house asset that you have. Yeah, I think this is the first moment where we learn that there's a lot more happening that is far beyond what's going on (laughs) with BOE Mm -hmm. elsewhere. And the fact that Ianthe landed on this planet really had nothing to do with Blood of Eden. Right. I don't think. So... Blood of Eden is in a panic now because they're like, well, shit, we've been found out. (laughs) And we suffer starts the order to take a shot. I think Cam thinks that shot is for Ianthe, but actually the shot is for Corona. Mm -hmm. And Cam actually says, you know, staves off the shot because she thinks Crown is trying to tell them something. Right. And, And 
at first I was like, what the hell is Crown trying to tell them? But basically, Crown then starts talking about Judith again. She starts saying, Deuterus, promise you're not going to touch Deuterus. And mm-hmm. Anthony's like, if I have to look at Deuterus a second longer, I'll die. <laughs> <laughs> and then Corona Beth goes on to say, she listened to me about Judith. I owe her. And I think this is actually Corona Beth saying to Blood of Eden that she's bugged Judith. Right. That Judith has a bug on her that they can listen through. And so Ianthe caves and brings both Corona Beth and Judith into the barracks. Right. And then once they enter the gate or the barracks or whatever, Crown kind of exclaims like, oh, it's you. And it ends up being... Pira, who is pretending to be the saint of duty. And so they're hearing this, um, Cam and Nona, and we suffer over the calm. And Ianthe asks the saint of duty what they should do with Judith. And the saint of duty, aka Pira, says, kill her, dead weight. And so it doesn't really make sense until later, but we can point out the places here where Pira is talking in code. So if we recall chapter two of this book, which I'm sure you've memorized. <laughs> Dead weight is code for all clear. And they continue their conversation. And then Pira says, get the fish hook out of the fish, second earring, right ear. And in chapter two, it also said that fish hook means important resource, come help me get it. So Pira is basically saying, everything's good, but there's an important resource here. Please come help me get it. And what it sounds like to everyone else is just that Pure is essentially given up Corona Beth as an undercover for BOE. Right. Take the fish hook out of the fish to anyone else who's listening just sounds like get the mic out of her ear. So that was that's like a fun. I liked that. That was fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, it's a good, good chapter. So that was chapter 20. <laughs> A real monster of a chapter with a lot going on. And we continue with chapter 21. This chapter would cover the Palamides comes clean bit. So it continues from where chapter 20 left off. So we suffer is extremely pissed. She thinks that they've been betrayed both by Crown and by Pyrrha. And Nona's confused because she doesn't really understand how we suffer doesn't know that Pyrrha was speaking to them in code. But Nona's like, we've got to go to Pyrrha. You heard her. And at this moment, a cohort officer comes in to tell we suffer that Judith was taken from the cell and that the guards who were guarding the cell were knocked out and hid in the infirmary. But Cam has somehow gotten the message to check for other bugs, I guess from what Corona Beth was saying about Judith listening to her. And we suffer is having this conversation with this cohort officer that came in to tell them about Judith. And Cam gives Nona a very nice hug. And during this hug, she also tells Nona that her stance with the chair leg during her attack on the guards was good and that it was two-handed, not one-handed like they practice. This is essentially Cam coming to the same conclusion or similar conclusion as Palamides, just like from a different angle, suggesting that Nona's stance with the two hands is a clue that Gideon is in Nona as like a cavalier. And then Nona gets a nosebleed, which is significant because even though this is Nona, this is still Harrow's body and brain. And it it seems like she actually hasn't fully recovered from 
the like procedure that she had Ianthe do on her. Mm-hmm. And in Harrow the Ninth, whenever Gideon was mentioned, Harrow would basically have a hemorrhage in her right. brain. And so this is actually happening here at the tiniest suggestion without even saying Gideon's name, but like suggesting that, oh, you have a two-handed stance mm-hmm. with a chair, Nona gets a nosebleed, which is very Harrow. Mm-hmm. Her brain trying to block out the existence of Gideon. Right. Yeah, I thought it was similar. I took it as in the same way that Hera was trying to repress memories of Gideon, known as trying to repress memories of Electo, and that right. the way that Hera's body is set up, being reminded, because this is actually, I think, we know that Electo uses a two-handed sword. Right. Just like Gideon. Right. So I think this is actually more about mm. Nona rejecting memories of Electo. Interesting. But either way, it's the the Harrow reaction to recalling information and trying to repress that information that you don't want to remember. Right. That's a fair read, too. Either way. Either way, yeah. <laughs> Similar situation. <laughs> Basically, she's trying to repress something. Yeah. Yes. This is also the moment where this probably confirms that it was Cam who put the bag over Nona's head in that moment, because if she had seen the situation, she would have known what to do. Right. Yeah. So they're having this exchange, and then all of a sudden, we suffer's like, oh my God, there is another bug. (laughs) And Kim was like, yeah. 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 Oh, I forgot about this bit. So while we suffer's people are scanning for another bug, and, and Cam says it's on Judith, we suffer asks what Pira was saying to them. And Nona says, she said to fall in, that it was safe. And I think she said that she found a whole bunch of cigarettes. (laughs) And this is a reference to in chapter two, when they're talking about the different code words that Pira has taught them, the code word fishhook, which is come help me get this valuable resource. Pal thought that Pira was using it too often for cigarettes and liquor and that they had to stop (laughs) using it. I completely missed that. It's such a good callback here. It went completely over my head. <laughs> I mean, I only caught it on the 17th read. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And there's like this debate, I think, between We Supper and Cam around whether Pira can be trusted. I think Cam at some point says she can trust Pira like 90%. And that in this particular situation... Pierre is just trying to get to that shuttle, not betraying Blood of Eden, which are different things. And then after that, Palamides takes over the body. And this is where Nona tells him Crown's boyfriend wants Camillo and Harrowhark. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> and that, I, I mean, again, wonderful, wonderful quote. Pal is like... Yeah, she was always demanding. In point of fact, that's not actually Crown's boyfriend, Nona. It's her sister. But I don't think anyone can blame you for getting confused. (laughs) (laughs) And then we have really the main subject of this chapter, which is around Palamides coming clean Mm -hmm. and starting to explain himself to We Suffer. Right. I think he's he's realizing that they're running out of time. And so he's like, all right, my name is Palamides. I'm the <laughs> warden of the sixth house. I uh, am possessing the body of Camilla the sixth sometimes. And he's like, did you think Camilla could do necromancy? I was the one who took the bullet out of Nona's head. And he explains, if we suffer, it's just like, what the hell? <laughs> he 
asks We Suffer if she will give them the Sixth House Oversight Committee if they get her the key to the locked tomb, aka Gideon. We Suffer's like, I would do pretty much anything for the key to the locked tomb. Because she knows that that's the only way to destroy God. And Pal explains that Ianthe is here puppeting a dead body, which makes her in many ways less powerful than a normal necromancer. And he says they kind of have her in a corner, but also in that corner is Gideon Nav, whom they all need. So they can't just blow her up. Also, he says that he's afraid of spooking Ianthe because she's able to travel very quickly. And so if they spook her, she's likely just going to take Gideon and go. So he's kind of like, we need these things, but we can't get too close without scaring them away. Right. Brute force is not the strategy here. They need something more elaborate, which is what they end up going with. Right. And Pal says that they, a.k.a himself and Cam and Nona can get both Gideon and Nibiris' bodies as long as we suffer gets them the sixth house oversight board. And then Pal, after this absolute word vomit revolutionary (laughs) couple of paragraphs, (laughs) disappears and Cam is back. I can't even imagine the fact that we suffer stays so composed in this moment Uh is like pretty incredible. I mean, this is This is a wild admission. (laughs) Right, right. Also, it's very well done by Palamides. Very succinct. He's so good. He's so smart. I I just love him so much. I also love that even just with the writing of this, like these characters are so well realized in writing that even without Moira Quirk's excellent narration, you can tell immediately when they switch from Cam to Pal. Oh, yeah. Pal is a totally different person, and, and the way that he talks and the way that he moves is so different. I just think it's so, so well done. I mean, obviously. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I think when Cam comes back, we suffer as like, okay, I guess I believe you because that was weird, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. you couldn't have just acted that out. <laughs> that was wild. Yeah. And Cam asks for not only what Palamides asked for, but also for the shuttle. Mm-hmm. And I think We Suffer says, sure, if you can get me all this stuff, yes. But also, my other stipulation is that I'm just going to read this quote. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I don't know what it means. <laughs> this is We Suffer. If you find a way off world, I would like you to take a package with you. Camilla raised her eyebrows. Where? Anywhere. Away from here, said We Suffer. We don't carry metaphors, said Camilla. You've asked too much already. We suffer sat back in her seat. She was looking at a patch of wall a few inches above Camilla's head. Let us suppose, she began, and then there was a soft pop from the audio speaker and a sharp clack that made everyone jump. And I'm so mad about this. I know. (laughs) I mean, good for you, but... Wait, here's, okay, there's a couple pieces here that are mm-hmm. curious. One is that whatever this package is, it is important to Blood of Eden and or We Suffer. Right. We Suffer trusts Camilla and Palamides with this package. I think right. that's maybe one of the like most surprising things mm-hmm. to me here. 
Because there's a theory I think that you and I both have just based on your notes. It's like a question mark theory, uh-huh. which like, oh, the, maybe the package is the messenger. Right. But if the messenger is blood of Eden, like we suffer had said, why would we suffer entrust that package to Cam and Pal? I mean, she basically just learned that they've been fucking with her for months. Mm-hmm. And yet she's like, all of a sudden, I trust you enough to take this very important package with you somewhere. Right. Well, it is in the end, she does trust them to take the messenger. So it could be that. But also, I think it's interesting. I know I don't know if it's just doesn't mean anything, but she's also looking at that patch of wall a few inches above Camilla's head. I don't think she's looking at the picture of Wake, but it's, I don't know if that's significant. But the only thing I can imagine it being is is the messenger. What else could it possibly be? I mean, it could be something that we haven't seen yet. <laughs> <laughs> also, though, she's she's about to tell them Ugh. before Tanzanir absolutely rips this away from us. <laughs> She's about to tell them something about it, and I just don't know if she would be telling them about it when she literally, like, five minutes before had said information about the messenger is above your pay grade, you know? Right. And then I also think it's probably something that she does give to them to take off world because they do go off world. So I assume, even if this isn't brought up again, really, they do have this, whether it's the messenger or something else, when they go to the ninth house. If you guys have any <laughs> other thoughts about what this means, I would say 50% messenger, 50% something totally different. Mm-hmm. But maybe someone has a brilliant theory. I mean, we know you all have brilliant theories because mm-hmm. you write us essays that we read through. So give it to us. Yeah. We read every single email in full, <laughs> often many times. So even though... <laughs> You're getting radio silence from us since we are absolutely swamped. We do really, yeah, we 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 need help. <laughs> in in my work outside of this podcast, something that we say often is on our own, we know a little, but together we know a lot. And I feel that so deeply in this fandom. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. But we don't know the answer to this because Tamsinmir interrupts what could have been a really excellent explanation with this sound on the calm, and we learn that the bug on Judith is now on. And Pira and Crown, of course, are arguing immediately. And Pira is basically saying that no one can get to Gideon's body. Well, specifically. Yeah, (laughs) specifically. Pira says... None can get at that corpse. Right, right. Which is significant. Yeah, she says it's a trap. And it does also say that her voice sounded a bit closer now. So she's obviously trying to to say it directly to the bug so that they're getting the message. Right. But yeah, none can get at that corpse. None can get at that corpse. So they're like fighting about Gideon's body, basically, right now. And it seems like both of them, both of them do not know that at least part of Gideon is in that body. It's not just mm-hmm. a corpse anymore, but Anthe has not shared that information with either of them yet. And Corona is saying to Pira, just go away. I'm going to take care of Judith. Right. And I don't know what's actually going on here because Crown says, I'm the only one who can make sure that 
Judith is secure. And Pyrrha says, nice try. And Crown says, okay, fine. Stay here and watch me while I do it then. But I think you're being stupid. Are they talking about Judith here? Yes. Okay, what's going on? Why does Pyrrha not want to leave Crown alone with Judith? I'm not sure, but I'm sure that it, it seems like Pure is well aware that the body is is bugged. That the body, I mean, Judith is alive. That Judith is bugged. <laughs> but I'm not sure why she's so anti-crown being alone with Judith. I'm not sure. Yeah. They clearly do not trust each other. Mm-hmm. And it also seems, I think... Corona Beth continues here and says, if it had been me, I would have put Nab in a suitcase and put that suitcase in a cupboard and locked the cupboard door. She's a corpse. It's not like you need to let her out to use the bathroom. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering here, I read this initially to be Corona Beth implying that she blames Pira for losing Gideon's body Mm -hmm. in whatever happened in the six months before this book took place. So when... When Blood of Eden lost Gideon's body, but gained Pyrrha and Harrow's body, right? <laughs> that swap happened. And actually, I don't know that she's blaming Pyrrha, but she's saying, like, we didn't need to have Nab's body out and about. She should have been locked up and secured more. Hmm. Or maybe this is just talking about right now where Nab's body is. I don't know. Yeah, I took it as because Nav is the key to the locked tomb and everyone knows that, if it were Crown, she would have absolutely hid her somewhere totally unfindable, like in a suitcase. Like, I mean, she's basically like, put her in another tomb. Yeah. <laughs> the tomb that you yeah. have to open to unlock the other tomb. Right. But I took it as, yeah, it's, it's crazy that they're letting Nav walk around. But we right. find out later that actually Jod thought of that. Right. And then Pyrrha says, I put all the corpses in the morgue, which makes no sense to Coronabeth. But what I think Pyrrha is saying here in code is a hint to Blood of Eden where to find Gideon's body, Mm -hmm. which is like underground in the barracks. Right, right. And so then Ianthe shows up and puts a ward on Judith that will keep her knocked out for the foreseeable future so that she's not waking up and freaking out about the resurrection beast. And Cam is taking notes on this whole conversation as they're listening to this. And finally, Pira and Crown and Ianthe leave the room. And <laughs> and Cam asks Nona what Pira's nicknames for her are. And she lists like 20. Oh my God, it's so <laughs> It's good. so funny. And Cam's like, okay, got it. And what she's realized is that one of the nicknames is none. For Nona, which is silly, but when Pyrrha said none can get at that corpse, she meant that Nona can get at that corpse. Right. And so that's what's going on in the Blood of Eden room. Mm-hmm. But before Pyrrha, Ianthe, and Coronabeth leave the room, Ianthe, of course, is just shitting on Pyrrha, mm-hmm. whom she thinks is the saint of duty, as she always does. And she says, duty, God, how to refer to you. We're going to need to give you a nickname to differentiate. What did Harrowhark used to always call you? Tortoise? Blorgus? Blorgus. <laughs> That's like Anthe's go-to joke is just pretending like she doesn't remember people's names. Yeah. And then Pyrrhus says, you cut slits in her brain. And Crown goes, you pardon? And Anthe says, long story, very funny. Come and hear it. Let's lock this door. I don't want Judith crashing the party, sweetheart. Right. 
So this is Pyrrha getting kind of protective over Harrow, which is mm-hmm. cute. And I, I don't know, just like took me back to Harrow the Ninth, a book I miss. Yes. <laughs> and I was like, oh, the saint of duty looking out for Harrow. And again, Corona Beth is just in the dark of so much that has happened. She thinks she's running her own game here, but there is mm-hmm. so much happening. And it's so interesting because throughout the rest of this day, off screen, theoretically, Crown and Ianthe are having some sort of conversation. Like they're going off on their own, but we have no idea what happens when they're together alone. Right. Which, again, is why I'm just suspicious here. Like, I don't know. You know, we just don't know what they're telling each other mm-hmm. and whose side they're, they're really on. I mean, I think if I were to guess where Crown's at right now, it's that she is loyal to Blood of Eden and she believes in their cause, but she's also very loyal to her sister. But her best case scenario is that she convinces Ianthe to join her. Right. And even just go off together. But I don't think until the end of this book, she's really planning on or considering totally betraying Blood of Eden or her sister. She wants both of these things. But at the end of the day, they're antithetical. Like she can't have them both. So (laughs) I think that's where she's at. And she's also trying to protect Judith, which is it's kind of a third (laughs) situation. Yeah. It really says something about Corona that she thinks she can bring Ianthe over to the Blood of Eden cause. We know Ianthea pretty well at this point, and mm-hmm. Corona has known her longer. I'm just really surprised that she thinks Ianthe has the capacity f- to be on that side of things. Right, and we've also seen Corona Beth sort of cave to Ianthe before in Gideon the Ninth, when there's that bit where Anthea's like, come on, I, I need you. Let's do this yeah. together. And Corona yeah. Beth kind of... <laughs> goes over to her side and I think it even says they lost her somehow right and I think it repeats that later in this book corona at the end of the day is gonna keep caving for her sister unless things change (laughs) yeah which was cam's whole point here right so then the video camera swivels back to what's happening in the blood of eden room And Nona casually tells Cam that she's dying. (laughs) Right. And Cam asks if she told Palamides, and Nona says yes. And so Cam and Powell will talk about that (laughs) later. Yeah. And We Suffer says that she'll devote every resource she has to finding the sixth house. And Cam says all she needs are a couple materials, a pair of scissors. And Iris die, and the blackest clothes you can find. <laughs> and the title of this next chapter is Nona Gets a Makeover. <laughs> yep, you gotta have a makeover in every book. <laughs> right, there was the makeover in Harrow with Ianthe tried to dress Harrow up or something. I can't remember. Right. So <laughs> Harrow's body's gone through some shite. I know. I think about how our bodies remember trauma Mm -hmm. and how even if she doesn't remember this, like, body's got to hold that somehow. Yeah. Woof. But that's the end of chapter 21. What a, what a lot. What a lot of information. We were going to cover the next little John chapter too, but we were like, nope. 
Nope, that's going to have to wait. Yeah, I mean, it's just these chapters are so rich. I'm actually proud Mm -hmm. of us. I feel like our timing here was actually pretty good, all things considered. (laughs) Yeah, side note, great job to us. (laughs) Yeah, we, we, we kept it tight. But with that being done, we don't really have time for a bunch of audience questions today, but we would love to hear what your thoughts are on what We Suffer was about to tell Cam about taking the package off world. And this might tie into The Messenger, but if you have other theories, please send those in. We'll try and cover them in the next episode. And we also will start to cover some theories about The Messenger, The Tower, and Chessies in upcoming episodes as we start to really touch on these things. Yes. And now's the time, too. We're nearing the point where we'll be covering the unwanted guest in a couple episodes. And so we want to hear your takes on that short story. There's a Mm -hmm. lot in there. So theories, reads, subtleties that you've picked up, send them our way, and we'll do our best to include them in that episode. Right. I did want to cover this one anonymous listener question that we got, which I think about all the time. And I just think it's so interesting to think about. So the question is, I just listened to the episode on Nona chapters 9 and 10. And as a trans fan of the Lock Tomb, I would kill to know what transitional care is like in the Nine Houses as far as both necromancy and sci-fi tech goes. Oh my god. Well, Aval, if lictors were, I mean, I assume lictors could just change whatever yeah right so there's that potentially necromancers i mean look at how much power they have over the body and science and stuff i have to imagine that gender affirming care or like Mm -hmm. gender affirming surgery is a pretty easy thing to do in the nine houses and it also doesn't seem like any gender fluidity transness anything like that is taboo in the nine houses which is the right. one really good thing about this weird society. <laughs> yeah, and even there could be characters. I don't think there are because I think Tamsin Muir is a good enough writer that she would have found a way to tell us. But there could even be characters that are trans and we just have no idea. I assume that I'm just thinking about things like hormones, it seems very likely that it would be fairly easy to change hormone levels with necromancy in a way it would probably have to be because it seems like different houses have different specialties and then there are like specialists within yeah so there are probably like medical necromancers well like the sixth house right palamides would be able to do any kind of gender affirming surgery that anyone would want easy peasy yeah so i think my answer to the question is gender affirming care is probably great <laughs> they probably yeah. have universal health care too. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> totally. We're not you know. we're not like pro the nine houses, but like <laughs> they definitely have universal health care. Yeah, there's a couple good things. So that's that. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we think about that. Well, you know, there's no guns in the nine houses either. Yeah, or internet. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot to say about Jod, but he got a couple things right. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll wrap it up there. Thank you guys so much for joining us. As always, if you have questions or comments or want to point out something that we missed, message us on our website, locktombpod.com or on Twitter at locktombpod. 
I've been really bad personally at replying to messages this year and honestly since we started this, but again, as we mentioned before, we read every message and we appreciate all the love and thoughts and theories that we get. And it really helps motivate us to keep making this pod, especially the just the little notes where people say they like the pod. We <laughs> really so are nice. so appreciative. <laughs> Sorry that we can't reply to everything, but we really, really love this community. And so thank you. Also, if you liked this podcast, as always, tell your friends to listen or rate and review us wherever you're listening to this. Thank you to Olivia Kay for our theme music. I'm Amy. And I'm Mao. And we'll see you next time here at the Locktoon Podcast.